Second Samuel, chapter 23. 2 Samuel, chapter 23, from verse 16. 2 Samuel, 23, from verse 16. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines. They drew water from the well of Bethlehem. That was by the gate. And took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he will not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord. 17. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I shall do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he will not drink it. Those things were done by the three mighty men. Let me read verse 18 too. Put on verse 18 for me. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of another three. He lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. All right. I'm talking about money today, and I want to link it to the series of messages we have been hearing all along. All right? And that's about worship. And if my memory serves me right, I know that uh, we said worship is not just singing, although singing is a part of worship. Worship is not coming to church, although coming to church is part of worship. All right? That's from what I understand from what we have been saying is that worship has many working parts. There are so many parts to worship that are, that, that, you know, that, that, that are moving. So many moving parts to worship. And those moving parts encompasses every area of our lives. So everything that we do, everything that we are, everything that we have has to do with worship. No wonder 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that in whatever you do, whether in eating or in drinking, do it to the glory of God. Colossians also tells us that in everything that you do, whether in words or in deed, do it to the glory of God. And Revelations 4.11 tells us, Thou art worthy, O God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they were created. In other words, everything, our lives, everything about you, everything about your life, everything about what you own is an object or should be an object of worship to our God. And if that be so, if what we have said be so, if the Bible be true, if that is the truth, all right, then we know that there's no difference when it comes to worship. There's no dichotomy between you, what you have, and what you do with what you have. I'll say that again. There's an inalienable relationship between who you are what you have 
and what you do with what you have. In most cases, what you have and what you do with what you have is a reflection of who you are. Let me, let, let me make that clear. When I say who you are, a reflection of who you are, I'm talking of a reflection of who you are as in your values, your belief system, your pleasures, the things that drive you. In other words, if you want to know who a man is or his values or what the things that are important to him, follow the money. Follow the time. You will easily understand who a person is, the way they handle money, the way they handle their time, the way they handle their resources, the way they handle what God has given to them. No wonder the Bible puts it so well. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart also will be. Where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. Your heart always follows your treasure. 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 Where your treasure is. There your heart is also. And Jesus proved this also. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? How many of you remember the story of the rich young ruler? Huh? You remember the story of the rich young ruler? What did he say? This guy was rich. And the Bible tells us that he came to meet Jesus. Maybe we should read it. Let me, let, let's, let's read that. Please. Can you put, um, uh, put Matthew 6. Uh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Put Matthew 19 for me. Verse 16. Matthew 19, 16. I just want us to see some things there. Okay, starting from verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what thing shall I do that I may, in, that may have in eternal life? Okay, let's go. Number 17. So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. 18. He said to him, Which ones? In other words, I have no problem keeping the commandments. Which one? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not be a false witness. All right, let's go. 19. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 20. The young man said to him, all this I have kept from my youth, my goodness. What do I still lack? All right, 21. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, or if you want to be mature, you want to enter life, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. 21. I have 22, I'm sorry. But when the young man had this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. He went away sorrowful. For he had great possession. And right there, Jesus exposed the heart of this guy. You have obeyed all the commandments. 
But when you were told that your money was involved, when money was involved, something else changed. In other words, I will honor my mother and my father unless money is involved. I will not kill my neighbor unless money is involved. Because when Jesus told him to go and sell all that he has, or all that he had, and come follow me, he went away sorrowful, even if he had obeyed, even though he said, or he claimed he had obeyed the laws. He went away sorrowful. And what is the point to that? It means that this man cannot use his resources to do things that were necessary. To do things that were necessary. In other words, I'll put it this way. That when you put the commandment, thou shalt not kill, vis-a-vis his money, guess what? The man becomes a murderer immediately. When you put money with this guy, and you put thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself, money trumps thou shalt love your neighbor. In other words, this is a guy that can watch his neighbor starve to death, and he has millions at his disposal, and will not bat an eyelid even though they die. This is a guy who will see somebody suffering, who will see somebody in need. Whose parents will, will have needs. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother. But when it comes to money, he will see his parents in need and want. But guess what? He will not back an eyelid because it involves his money. Why? His heart is in his money. His money has him. And is that not where some of us are today? It's very easy for us to say, I don't have need for money. Let me, let me quickly say this. Let me quickly say this. When Jesus told that man that, hey, go and sell your belongings and give whatever you have to the poor, Jesus was not asking him to take an oath of poverty. Jesus was not intending to make him poor. If you read that scripture down, you will find out where the disciples, where they were asking Jesus. Because Jesus said, Jesus looked at him and Jesus had mercy on him. The Bible declares that when the man went away sorrowful, Jesus had mercy on him. And what did Jesus say? He said, it is hard for a rich man to enter. He said, it is easier, sorry. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And what did disciples say? Disciples were surprised. They said, who then can be saved? And Jesus told them, he said, with men, it is impossible. But with God, all, nothing shall be impossible. And Peter asked Jesus, he said, we have left everything. What you told this man to do, what you have asked him to do, what you have challenged him to do, we have done it. We have given up our families. We have given up our homes. We have given up everything that you have given us. Every of our possessions we have given up. We have given up our self-respect. We gave everything up. Just to follow you. And guess what Jesus told them? Jesus said, there's no one who has left mother or father or anything for my sake and for the sake of the kingdom. 
that will not receive a hundredfold here in this life and upon that eternal life. What am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus was not telling this guy to take an oath of poverty. Jesus was just telling him, I need to separate your hearts from the reliance of money so that your money will not have you. Your money does not become what you worship. But instead, you use your money to worship God. That's the bargain that Jesus was giving him. That was the bargain. It's very easy for us to say, okay, oh, that man, that man, that's what he did. That's what happened. That's what happened. But what about you? What about me? What about us? What about us? It's very, very easy. There's a thin line. Between wanting to use your resources for God and wanting to worship your resources. That your resources becomes the object of your worship. That's a thin line. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a few reasons. I can give you a lot of reasons, but I'll give you a few reasons why. You know that Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said something about money. When he was talking about money, he said something. He said, you cannot serve two masters. He said, for you will love the one and hate the other. He said, no one can serve two masters. Am I correct? And then he went on to say that you cannot love God and love mammon at the same time. In other words, when it comes to your resources and how you expend them and how you use them, you have two masters, two options. It's either God or money. There's nothing in this life that contends for your attention, that contends for your followership, like money. That is one thing that contends against God when it comes to your attention, when it comes to your adoration, when it comes to your adulation. There's nothing that contends as much as money. Nothing. And I'll give you the reason why. Why we easily trust in money. You know one of the reasons? I'll tell you why. Because a lot of times, a lot of times, to some, to, to, to some extent, money has almost the same promise that God has in your life. Hey, I, just, I know I just stepped on somebody's theology now, right now. Somebody's theology just got, just got messed up. All right? Money, money, money. I'll explain. Money has almost the same promise as God has in your life. Let's start with that. How many of you know that God has glory? God has glory, right? But are you also aware that money has glory? Okay. Am I correct? It's, it's not heavenly. But a lot of times our minds are not heavenly. Our minds are a lot earthly, right? And that's one of the reasons, that's what, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm driving at. And that's why we easily trust money. Because the glory of money is very visible. It's tangible. It's something you can relate to it easily. And it's very easy for you to pursue it. In other words, you want to enter a place 
and everybody sees you with your $6,000 skin shoes, you know that's a lot of glory, with your $10,000 Armani shirt, and everybody looks at you, that's glory. You want to live in one of those expensive areas in, in, in town. All right? That's glory. When, 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 people come into your, when, people, when people come around to come and visit you, they see all your wares. They see everything. And it's just sparkling. It's just beauty. What created it? Money. That's the glory of money. How many of you know that God answers prayer? You know that God answers your prayer, right? Huh? Okay, if you, if, you, if, if, you, if, if you don't believe that God, if God has never answered your prayer, at least believe it. If you don't believe it, then you don't belong here. We know that God answers prayer, right? But do you know the same Bible tells us that money answers everything? The same promise. God answers, money answers. Are we still together? How many of you know that God has honor? God can give you honor. Huh? Do you know that money gives honor too? Oh, okay. A lot of people don't know. I, I think I'm in the wrong crowd now. Money brings honor. And from time immemorial, from time, from the beginning of time, there's always been this contention against the things of God. And the things of this world that almost look alike. That's why when, when, when Moses went and visited Pharaoh, all right, when the rod of Moses turned into a snake, Pharaoh also turned into a snake. Am I correct? But guess what happened? The snake of Moses consumed the snake of the state. In other words, what am I saying? That even though money has glory, money has honor, money answers everything. All right? And let me even add one more. God is our shield and our buckler. A very present help in time of trouble. Do you know the same Bible tells us that money is a defense? Yes. What am I saying in essence? That even though money has a defense, but there's something about God's glory, God's defense, God's answer that is incomparable to that which money gives. And so why do we put our trust in money? Why do we put our trust in money? And I can guarantee you, a vast majority of us are guilty of that. Whether you know it or not, your, your guilt might be like this. Some other people might be like this. But in one way or the other, in one way or the other, we have been guilty of not completely, totally, and expressly giving God all the glory or using our resources to bring God the glory that is due unto his name. Unto his name. And that is why this scripture that I have read in Second Samuel 23 is so important, so important. Now listen, that thing did not talk about money there, but we can derive or we can pick some principles from that scripture. And that's exactly what I'll just do now. We'll just pick some principles from that scripture. We'll do some uh, 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 talk about it, and then we are ready to go. But before I start talking about that scripture, let me give you a background. Moses was held 
in a stronghold. And there was a stalemate between his army and that of the Philistines. And these guys, the Philistines couldn't cross to the other side. And the, uh, David's army could not cross to the other side. They were starving, no water, they were famished. And David just expressed himself. He said, my God, I wish I could drink from the water by the gates of Bethlehem. And bam! Three guys from his group broke through the Philistine's Philistine's troop. That wall that had been barricaded. Three guys! They broke through, went to bed. Steve Covey wrote in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And and, uh, just my own opinion. My own opinion. I think every adult should read that book. I really do. Just my own opinion. I'm not saying God told me to tell you. You said... Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Steve R. Covey. In the habit number five, the number five habit, he said, seek to understand before you are understood. You have to seek to understand before you are understood. If you don't understand where people are coming from and you just want them to understand you or understand where you stand, it becomes a problem. All right? And the reason why he said that is this. He went ahead to explain why he said that. He said that. The reason why he said that is that we don't see things the way things are, but we see things the way we are. In other words, our experiences, our inclinations, our trainings, they all affect the way we see things. Let me bring it home. Let me bring it home here. Let me bring what I'm saying home here. All right, then I'll just, I'll move on. I'll move on from here. Let me, let me, let me bring it home. After we all leave this place, and we go to our various homes, and these doors are shut, or they are locked, I guarantee you for the, for the most part of us, one thing we'll be discussing is this message. All right? And there will be two predominant verdicts Concerning this message. One will be, oh, that was a good message. And the other one will be, that was the worst message I ever heard in my life. (laughs) And I'm telling you the truth. It's just the nature of how things are. All right? Same message, but two different verdicts. Am I correct? And you know the reason why? Why you have those two verdicts? The reason is not because the message is the best message that has ever been preached. And neither is it the worst message that has ever been, you know, preached. But it's just because the way you are, you're going to judge this message based on where you are, the way you are, the way you see things, and not on the merit of the message itself. All right, like I promised, I'll just move. Let's move to this thing and see why this young man or this man uh, uh, did what they did. Why will they do that? Why will they risk their lives? Let's go to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. Why will they do what they did? Why did they do what they did? 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. 
David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. This, he loves this Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Verse 2. And everyone that was in what? Distress. Everyone who was in debt. And everyone who was discontent gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. In other words, these guys were the rejects of life. They were the dregs of society. Nobody accepted them. Nobody liked them because they were not useful. In fact, they are what we call useless people. But when they got to David, and they got, and David took hold of them, David took them from a ragtag army to an elite group of army. They were doing all kinds of exploits. The Bible talked about 30 of them. There were 30 of them who were just, they were, they, they were just, they, they were just like, I mean, they were the strike force. They were the elite of the elite of the army. And these guys, look at where they were coming from. They were debtors. They were discontent people. They were people who had no hope. But when they got to David, David gave them any hope. And I'm here to ask you this morning, has God done anything for anybody here this morning? Is there anybody here who can testify this morning? That God has changed my life. God has transformed my life. I was hopeless at one time. But God gave me hope. I was useless at one time. But now I am useful. The Bible says now. The Bible talks about it. It says once I was blind. But now I can see. Is there anybody in this house. Who can testify this morning. That God has done something for me. That God has changed my life. That God has transformed my life. That's exactly why those men did what they did for David. And the same question for us this morning. If God has really done anything for you, how far can you go to worship him with your resources? How far? How far can you go with your resources? How far can you go with your resources? How far can you go with your resources? Those guys, David did something for them. David changed their life. Their association with him brought something that was unique that they never thought could ever happen to them. In fact, the Bible says that one of them, you know, one of those men, he fought one day and slew 800 men. Another one, you know, he was with David and they were fighting with David and every of the Israelites ran away, every of the Israeli soldiers ran away. But this guy stood and he withstood them. He fought and fought and fought until his sword stuck to his hands. That was how brilliant they were. So because David changed their lives, they were ready to go the extra mile for him. And like I said, my question for you this morning is how far can you go with God, with your resources, because he has changed your life? How much can you do? How far can you go? How far can you go? All right. My second observation is this. David got the water and poured the water as a sacrifice to God. And he said that this water is equivalent to the life of this man. And so I am not worthy to drink this water. My friends, it's not everything that you get 
that you keep. You don't understand what I said. Everything that you get, even though you deserve it. David deserved it. Look at what he did in this guy's life. He totally, completely changed their lives. And they gave him gifts. They brought something to him. But David gave it to God. It's not every gift that you get that you're entitled to. Sometimes there has to be a portion that you write holy unto the Lord only. On. Because guess what? It involves life. It involves blood. We're still going to get to money very soon and then we'll wrap it up. It's not everything that you deserve that you hold on to. And that's what David was showing us here. It's not everything that you deserve. David deserved to quench his thirst. David deserved to be served with water because he changed and transformed those guys' life. They brought the water to him. But David knew in his heart, it's not everything that I deserve that I can hold on to. There are some things that I deserve that actually is holy unto the Lord. Holy unto God. How does this story relate to our lives? How does it relate to our lives? How does it relate to money? It relates to money because just as God, just as Moses did, God always gives us the opportunity to worship him with what we have. There's always an opportunity. There's always an opportunity for us to worship God with what we have. But let's start it this way. Let's look at it this way. How many of you work here? Or how many people work here? A lot of the adults, right? We work. Okay. Okay, some people are shy to let us know. Okay, we're not going to come after you to write us extra checks. I'm just kidding. All right? If you walk here, you walk, right? Or if you have walked before. And you get paid. What are they actually paying you for? Your services, your time, your this thing. Okay, if you are there in my other place where I know you know service is not right, it's time. You are paid for time. That's why they pay you hourly, all right? Correct? I will explain the service to you. They pay you hourly, right? They pay your time. $10 an hour. If you bring, if you put in an hour, they pay you, they pay you $10, right? If, they, if you have a contract with them to pay $100 an hour, all right? You come in, you pay, I mean, you come in, you put in an hour, they pay you for that hour. Are we, are we in agreement with that so far? Yep. All right. In other words, they pay you for your time. Where does service come or your skills? Where do they come from? Where do they, how do they fit into that? Now, your service or your skill adds value to your time. No matter how much service you have to give, no matter how much skill you have, if you don't show up, nobody's going to pay you. You're not going to be paid. So what they actually pay you for is the time that you come there to spend. Now, the value of the time might go up or down based on the skills that you have. Are we together? Okay, I'm seeing some people don't agree with me, but okay. But let's just, I have the mic today. Let's, 
Let's just go with what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just kidding. All right, but that, that, that's the truth. That's the truth. Your skills and your service only add value to your time. Because if you don't show up, it doesn't matter how many PhDs you have. Nobody pays you for not showing up. Nobody just pays you for having a PhD. You have to show up before that PhD even has, begins to register on the radar. And how is life measured? How do we measure life? You measure your life with time. You measure it with time. So yesterday you were 30 years old. Next year you're going to be 31 years old. Why? Because time has passed over it. Time has passed over it. Are we still together? Time has passed over it. Time has passed over it. Time has passed over. So, when you get your check every week, or every two weeks, or at the end of every month, or quarterly, or whichever way your contract stands, when you get your check, what are they actually telling you? If you are paid for your time, all right? And then we have said that time is life. What are they actually paying you? What are they telling you? By the time they give, what's the message they're giving you by the time they give you your check at the end of the, at the, end of the week, the month, the whatever your agreement is? What are they telling you? They're saying, okay, for the life you have spent here, we are compensating you with this amount. This is the value of the life that you have spent here with us. So if you spend 40 hours a week in your place of work, or you spend 60 hours, or however it may be, if you spend it, what are they telling you? What, what, what are you doing? You are putting a fraction of your life to exchange for money. It's not a sin. It's not a sin. Are you following me so far? I know a lot of times in, you know, in, in, in philosophy, I don't know, you know, when, when people start doing, you know, gestapulation, time, you know, money is time, time is life, therefore, money is life. And you find people who just get confused and just walk out. But it's just so easy to follow it. You walk, you are paid for your time. When you are paid for your time, time is equivalent to your life because you have expended a fraction of your life at your place of work for eight hours every day. And what they are telling you when they give you that check is that there is an exchange or a compensation for your life. All right? I want to, you know, link it back to what you know, David did. David said, I will not drink this water because it's at the expense of some people's life. And therefore, he poured it out to God. In other words, after you have earned 